You're listening to The Jewish Truth Bomb with Lenny Goldberg. Hey, this is Lenny Goldberg, and thanks for joining me today. This last Shabbat, we read Pasha Truma, and for the rest of the way, in the book of Exodus, we're going to be dealing with the temple. A lot of Pashas that deal with the Beit HaMikdash. In this Pasha, Pasha Truma, we have the verse, Vasuli Mikdash v'shochanti pitocham. You shall build for me a temple, and I will dwell amongst them. And that, of course, is the basis of the commandment for the Jews to build the temple. Now, that may come like a shock to a lot of people because there's a misconception that, no, no, the Messiah is going to build a temple. Or, no, no, the third temple is going to be already built and constructed and is going to come down from the heavens. But we see here, and from the Rambam in his Halachot Beit Bechira, the laws of building the temple, he, he goes through it step by step, how you're supposed to build a temple. Just like everything else, this is a mitzvah incumbent upon us. Just like the Torah commands us to observe Shabbat. We don't say that the Messiah is going to observe Shabbat. Instead, the Torah commands us to put on tefillin. Does that mean that the Messiah is going to put on the tefillin for us? Suddenly, when you get to something that's difficult, we lay that on the Messiah. That's his work. Or we say that it's going to come down from the heavens and then it's nobody's work. Not even the Messiah is going to build it, according to that. And on the verse, Osuli b'chtash Make for me a sanctuary and I will dwell amongst them. The Orachayim says, this is a mitzvah for all times. That is, it's not limited to the days of the Messiah. It's for all times, just like Bayacheni, the second temple. Ezra went and built the temple, as it says in the book of Ezra, because that's what's written in the Torah of Moses. He didn't wait for it to come down from the heavens. He didn't wait for the Messiah to show up. No, he picked up the bricks, started building the temple. And today, not only is it a problem that there's not enough of initiative to practically build a temple, because really there's no obstacle standing in our way other than ourselves. It's not like the British are here or the Turks are here stopping us. But we have rabbis who hold that you're not allowed to go up to the Temple Mount at all. You can't even ascend our Abayit. And they have all kinds of reasons not to. And one of the reasons that you're not allowed to go up to the Temple Mount, that if you do, you're liable to get crushed by a flying temple falling from the sky. I get it now. And of course, this podcast isn't the place to refute these positions that the Messiah will build the temple and we can't, or the temple will come down from the heavens. That's an agudic source. And again, this isn't the place to start talking about it, but just being logical. Why is it that every time it comes to doing something that's difficult, we come up with some reason why we shouldn't do it? Everything suddenly becomes supernatural. You're not allowed to make Aliyah. You're not allowed to build a temple until the Messiah comes. You know, the Rambam writes a letter to the Jews of Yemen to encourage them. And he writes there that there is no mitzvah that's dependent on the coming of the Mashiach. But it's incumbent upon us to observe the mitzvot. And if the Messiah comes in our time, that's great. And if not, we got credit for doing the mitzvahs. Now, the thing that makes the subject of the Temple Mount and the Temple itself controversial really is the fact that there are mosques up there. I mean, if there were no mosques up there and it was just laying empty, the people, the rabbis, they'd be a lot more objective. The place wouldn't be so politicized. But because of the Arab presence there, that's what makes the whole thing controversial. And so nobody really wants to talk about the mosques up there. But when you think about it, that's the obstacle to building the temple. Because we're going to build it if you have a mosque there. It's sitting on the Holy of Holies. One man who isn't afraid to say the truth is the new Argentinian president, Javier Malay. 
This last week, as a matter of fact, he called for the destruction of the El-Aqsa Mosque. Why, he says, in order to bring the Messiah. So this new president of Argentina, Javier Malay, he's the real deal. I never heard a rabbi talk that way. It's not me saying it, it's uh, Argentinian president. You don't censor him. But what he's saying is totally true. Because how are you going to build a temple unless you get rid of the Al-Aqsa Mosque? And we all pray for the temple, right? Every single day. So where are you going to build it on if you don't dismantle the Al-Aqsa Mosque, which happens again to be sitting on the exact site of the Holy of Holies? So you know what? Even if you hold that the third temple is going to come down from the heavens, hey, you got to make room for it, don't you? You have to, you know, evacuate the area unless you want the temple to just come down from the heavens and crush the Al-Aqsa Mosque. But obviously that's not the way it goes. You see, Hashem wants us to do it. Just like he wants us to do all the mitzvot. And again, with all our gagawim, all our yearning for the temple, it's never going to be a reality as long as those mosques are up there. Just ask Argentinian president Javier Malay. This man is a righteous Gentile. And it's not just what he said about the temple. It's everything else he's doing. And the greatest thing about him is he got the guts to say the truth. And you know what's kind of interesting? That the same week that the Argentinian president came to the Kotel and cried there and said what he said about the Temple Mount and cried at the Kotel and said he's moving the embassy to Jerusalem. At that same time, we had the heroic rescue of the hostages in Gaza. And they were Argentinian, you know that? So maybe it's beschut in the merit of the Argentinian president, Javier Malay, that these two Argentinians were freed. And by the way, that is how you negotiate the subject of hostages. You don't do an exchange. You negotiate by going in there and saving the hostages. But getting back to the Temple Mount, one rabbi who did have the guts to say the truth, Rabbi Meir Kahana, this is what he wrote in an article in 1986, and I quote it. The Temple Mount is the very ultimate symbol of the struggle, indeed the war, between those who cry out the belief that the Lord, the God of Israel, is the one and only God, and those who deny him, who echo the blasphemy, of an Egyptian pharaoh who mocked Moses and the God of Israel by tauntingly shouting, who is the Lord? I know not the Lord. The Temple Mount, with its mosques daily desecrating the sacred site of God's temple, stands as a continuing and continuous desecration of the name of the God of Israel. The Muslims understand this perfectly. They know that he who controls the Temple Mount controls spiritual Jerusalem, that he who controls Jerusalem will ultimately control Israel. He understands the ideological struggle between the God of Israel and an Allah of the Muslims. And the Jews, the Perises and the Shamirs, the secular liberals, the leftists, the humanists, the Hellenists, the gentilized Hebrews all understand nothing. They believe neither in God nor in their own rights and obligations as a proud people. They are the worst of non-believers, the most extreme of spiritual heathens. And then the rabbi gets into detail how Jews who ascend the Temple Mount are humiliated and not allowed to pray there and it's a real fiasco. Anyway, the rabbi continues, the red hot anger of a God of Israel, whose name is humiliated and desecrated daily through Jewish acquiescence, will bring down upon us divine retribution as to make our lives a waking nightmare. Rabbi Kahana is basically warning us of tragedies like the one we saw this Peshmini at Seret. The cry of the hour is, remove the jackals. Hey, hey, sounds like the Argentinian president. Return to religious and national normalcy, to pride and self-respect. Remove the Muslims and sanctify God's name. Demand the absolute right of Jews to pray and to build a synagogue in the Temple Mount area that rabbis have ruled permissible to walk upon. 
transfer legal jurisdiction from the murderous Wafk. Recognize that the coming of the final redemption is irrevocably linked to the purification and Jewish control of the holiest of all places, the Temple Mount. Just a couple more sentences. The pygmies and dwarfs will bleat, but this will arouse the Muslim world against us. It will bring down the wrath of a world. Indeed, it will. But consider the alternative. Retaining the present situation, the status quo of Chilul Hashem, desecration of God's name, will arouse God against us, will bring down his wrath on the Jewish people. Dwarfs and people of little faith fear the Muslims. Jews fear the God of Israel. With God's help, when we achieve power, there will be no jackals on the mountain of Zion. That was an article by Rabbi Meir Kahana back in 1986. And so we see how central that the Temple Mount is not only to our national aspirations, but to our very survival. A couple of weeks ago, I talked about a Jewish hero who fell in Gaza. His name was Harel Sharvit. And I played an audio tape of him talking about the Temple Mount. I want to play it again because we are in the Pasha of the Temple. And before I play it, I want to talk about this Jew one more time and tell some more stories about this brave soldier, this lover of the land and the people of Israel. And how El Sharvit, by the way, is one of the most Googled names in Israel since he fell in Gaza a couple of weeks ago. People just want to know more about him. Harel Shavit is from the settlement of Kochav Yaakov. He himself established a hilltop, which he was very active on. He had a business. And when the war in Gaza broke out, he left it all to serve. But he had his own way of doing things, and the army tried to throw him out a couple of times. I told a couple of stories last time what he did with the soldiers when a pizza shop in East Jerusalem put up a poster on their store of one of the hostages to mock us. And Harel insisted that that place be bulldozed, just like another store in Hawara was bulldozed for doing the same thing. But the army didn't have any vehicles to bulldoze it. So Harel, on his own, tried to contract a private bulldozer on his own dime to bulldoze the place. And he brought his soldiers over there and they cocked their guns and he was reprimanded many times for doing stuff like that. He also made a quick video that went viral. In Gaza, he planted a tree on Tubishvat. And he said that this tree is for Amiram Benuliel. That's the Jewish man who the Shin Bet tortured in the confession for what happened in Duma. And Harel Shavit made a little video, planted a tree and saying, this is for you and all the Jewish prisoners. We don't forget you. And I can send you that video as well. There are a couple of listeners who asked me to send it to them and I sent it to them. It's inspiring to just listen and hear and see Harel Shavit. And since he fell in Gaza, there's a whole WhatsApp group, very active, putting out all kinds of stuff that he did, films and audios. And, uh, and there's another great story I got to tell you about this kid. And by the way, he hung out in our circles. As a matter of fact, my daughter knitted a keeper for him. So every time you see him with that keeper, you know, we're felling from Nachas. Anyway, Harel's commander uh, spoke at the funeral and in other places talking about how Harel Shavit insisted on being in the most dangerous place in Gaza. He wanted to be at the front where all the action is. Listen to this story that was told by one of the soldiers who was there. And one time when he was on his way to Gaza, he hitched in and he took a ride in an army vehicle and he saw that the soldiers inside the vehicle, their heads were down. Maybe one of their friends had been killed, but they looked down a little depressed. So Harel gave him a pep talk. And this is what he said to the boys to lift their spirits. He said, listen, guys, why are you keeping your head down? This is a win-win for us. Either we're going to kill a lot of Rishayim and 
bad people and terrorists, or we'll get killed, but we're going to go to the highest place in Gan Eden, where Rabbi Akiva is sitting. So it's a win-win situation. Don't get down. And another story that someone told was that one time the army, they gave the soldiers a uh, presentation. And they do that a lot in the army. They try to indoctrinate you. So they bring theater groups and lecturers to lecture on democracy or all kinds of liberal stuff. It's hard to believe it. But I saw that myself when I was serving a long time ago. They had shiurim on democracy. Unbelievable. Anyway, these soldiers are fighting in Gaza. And they bring in a theater group. And they get a presentation. And what happens in this little play? Well, you have these actors there. And two of them are soldiers. And they're guarding an Arab terrorist. An Arab that threw a rock at a Jew. And in this play... What happens? The Arab is very thirsty. So he asks for a drink. And one of the soldiers refuses to let him drink. And that's the focus of this presentation, this teatron, you know, it's a play, to show that, that the Jewish soldier isn't really isn't okay for refusing to give this Arab a drink. That's like the message they're trying to get through there. Anyway, in the middle of the presentation, you got hundreds of soldiers attending. Harel Sharvit, he gets up and he says, why do you put the focus on this? Why not talk about the Arab who tried to kill the Jew with the rock? This soldier who doesn't want to give the Arab water to the terrorist? He's good. Don't make him look like a bad guy. He's right. He's a gibor. And we love this soldier for that. So anyway, you see Harel is interrupting this whole thing here. And the Magad, the uh, squad commander, he told him to sit down. Let them finish the show. It's not appropriate to interrupt him like that. And Harel said back to him, I'm not going to let this thing go on. So his commander said, either you sit down now or you will be thrown out of the army. So Harel, he turns to all the soldiers there and he says, I request that all the soldiers here who agree with me, let them stand up right now. And nobody stood up. So then the Magad, the commander, he says to Harel, are you finished with your dramatics now? And he said, no. And then he turns to the soldiers and he says to them, listen, you guys are giburim, you're Jewish heroes. But the real gvura, the real heroism is having the guts to say the truth. And I ask you to stand up and show what side you're on and where you're holding on this. And then one soldier got up and said, yeah, I agree with him. And another got up, another got up. And within 30 seconds, the whole room was standing up. And the soldier who recounted the story says there was a really special feeling in the room at that point, a spiritual aura in the room. Anyway, all the room stands up and Harel, he turns to the squad commander and he says, now you're going to have to choose. If you want to hear more stories about Harel, I can send you some of these stories as it was told by the people who were there. A short film was made about him. There you can also hear more. So contact LennyGoldberg40 at gmail.com. And now going back to our subject of the Temple Mount, I'm going to repeat an audio clip I played about a month ago of Harel Shavit explaining to his friend why it's so important to keep ascending the Temple Mount. And this is what he told him. So he's saying to his friend here, he says, look, you go up to the Temple Mount and that's a good thing. That's the focus of what the war is all about. That is where we have to win it. So 
Okay, here he's saying to his friend, he says, I want you to share what I'm saying here. I want you to share this recording. Let everybody know. You know what? That when you go into Gaza, every single house, and I mean every house, it's got one picture. Picture of what? A picture of the Al-Aqsa Mosque. And he says, I don't want to even call it the Al-Aqsa Mosque. It's a picture of the abomination. An abomination, that's what it is. And they don't let up. And every house, when I see that picture, it reminds me, reminds me why I'm fighting here. The central battleground revolves around the Temple Mount. Okay, now he's telling his friend that when he goes up to the Temple Mount, that is holy work, and nothing is more important than that. And he says when you ascend the mount, you're fighting the battle with your legs, with your arms, with your eyes. And finally here he's saying to his friend that even though we are geographically apart, that is, you're in Jerusalem, I'm in Gaza, we're fighting the same battle. And he says at the end to his friend, so enjoy the mountain, Hahar Shebochar Hashem, the mountain that Hashem chose. That was Har El Sharvit, may God avenge his blood on the importance of the Temple Mount. And it's something that we should pay attention to, the importance of the Temple, because think of it, how many Parshas deal with the Temple or the sacrifices? I mean, the Torah could have went into much greater detail about the Shabbat and other mitzvot, but instead, so much of the Torah focuses in on what? Anything to do with the Temple. Starting from Parsha Truma, through the book of Exodus, the entire book of Leviticus, it's all about it's all about subjects dealing with the temple. So yeah, it makes sense that the major battleground revolves around the Temple Mount. I have one more clip I want to play for you of Harel, but first I want to talk about the Haggadah of the Jewish idea. You know, Passover is not that far away. I know we haven't reached Purim yet, but if you want to buy the greatest Haggadah you'll ever have, the Haggadah of the Jewish Idea, with commentary by Rabbi Binyamin Zevkahana. It's such a special Haggadah because it gets to the essence of what Passover is all about. It's not just a collection of little vorts and cute drushes, but it's the tachlis of the holiday of Passover. What do I mean? Well, what's the story of Passover really? It's about Kiddush Hashem. It's about vengeance. It's about leadership. It's about galut. It's about geula, exile, redemption. In short, it's really all the concepts of the Jewish idea that Rabbi Kahana taught us and stressed. And so this holiday really plays into our hands, so to speak. I guarantee it that this will make your Seder special. I know people who have read it and they thank me so much. They said it was the greatest Haggadah they ever read. They had the greatest and most meaningful holiday ever. And so this is something you should read well before the Seder. So you'll be prepared. You can't just open it up in Seder night. You won't have time. For sure, it's a must at your Seder. You want it to be your go-to Haggadah, you know, with wine stains on it and matzah crumbs in there. It's great for that too. What I'm saying is though, you want to read it beforehand. Already, 
in the month of Nisan, Rosh Chodesh Nisan, start learning this Haggadah, and suddenly you will get a deeper understanding of all those subjects we read every year in the Haggadah. Suddenly, Binyamin Kahana's Perush will shed a new light on these subjects that we're talking about every year. And the light that he sheds is usually the most basic idea, so basic. Or maybe we got confused about it because we've heard so many esoteric interpretations, we forgot the pshat. And that's what Rabbi Meir Kahana, Ben Yamin Kahana, really came into the world to do. They're not really giving us a chidush, you know, something new and novel. They're just telling us what's really obvious, but kind of forgot. Why am I pushing this now? And we're sitting here in the month of Adar Aleph still, right? We're not even that close to Purim yet let alone Passover. I'll tell you why. I want to send this to you and I want you to get it on time because the mail is very slow. Israel is at war and that includes the mailman. So if you contact me now, I can send it to you, this amazing Haggadah, because I want it to get to you on time before the holiday. Now you can order it by going to my website, lennygoldberg.com. You'll see it there amongst all the other books. You might want to order other books in addition. Or you can contact me straight at LennyGoldberg40.com, LennyGoldberg, the number 40.com. And through emails, we'll correspond and I'll get the book over to you. It costs $25 plus shipping. I'm not sure what the shipping cost is yet. We'll figure it out. Anyway, order now in one way or another. Order fast. Don't let another Passover pass over you without this great book. Okay, now I'm going to play for you some music now. Harel Sharvit, once again, amongst his many talents, he was also a good musician. And this is a recording of Harel playing the guitar and singing a song as he's looking at the Hanukkah candles. It was recorded on Hanukkah. And of course, it's in Hebrew, so I'll just tell you the words of the song and translate a little bit. The words go like this. Yikach Mashiach, which literally means it'll take whatever it takes, or as we say today, whatever it takes, aval nagia, but we'll get there. Nagia lesof. We'll get to the end. We'll get to the finish line. Nagia elachof. We'll get to that coast, to the chof. You see the word sof in Hebrew and the word chof rhymes. Sof means to the end and chof means beach or coast. So it sounds like he's saying, we'll do what we got to do. Whatever it takes, nagia, we'll get there. We'll get to the sof. We'll get to the end. We'll get to that Gaza coast. So listen to this, I'm just gonna play like 20 seconds of it. That was Harel Shavi just strumming his guitar by the Hanukkah candles, singing that we're going to get to the Sof, we're going to get to the Chof. Before signing off, I want to play about 20 seconds of Harel Shavit talking to, 
I think it's Israeli youth. It could be American tourists who are in Israel and he's giving them a blessing to always love the land of Israel. And this is what he tells them. What he said is, I bless you with simcha, with happiness, and orleinayim, and that you should have light in your eyes, and for you to love this land, that you'll always want to be in this land, and you'll want to stay in it. Because, as he says, Misha ohev loozev. If you love it, you don't leave it. And so that's my closing Aliyah pitch. If you love it, you won't leave it. That's what Harel said to these people in Israel. And he would say to you, if you're in the exile, he'd say, if you love Israel, then leave it. Leave the Gullus, the exile. That's it for me. Don't forget to tune into my Bible classes, Lenny Goldberg's Bible classes for a authentic learning experience. The Bible is the basic book of all time. Everyone should acquaint himself with it. The fact is, I don't really like using the word Bible. It sounds like babble. The Hebrew word is Tanakh. So you can listen to these classes by Googling Lenny Goldberg's Bible classes, or or you can find me on my website, LennyGoldberg.com. There's a link to the Bible classes there. You'll never have a handle on Judaism or understand what Judaism is all about without understanding the most basic book of Judaism, which was the Bible. So let's learn it together. We're right now in the book of Shmuel. What a book, what drama, and what a great way to know King David. Even if you read his Psalms, which is great, you'll never really get to know him without learning the book of Shmuel. There you get to see how he conducted himself, how he always connected to Hashem, no matter what the situation, his humility and gentleness on one hand. When he went out to war, he fought the enemy and wiped them out with no mercy. Yet he knew how to flip those attributes when they had to be flipped, to transform from the scholar to the warrior. And that's a model for every Jew. Unfortunately, the exile took that out of us. And so I'll be back next week for more. Same time, same station. Thank you.